0: Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing, a weekly podcast where we stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, helping you get the best results from your marketing efforts. Now let's join our hosts, Paul Avery and Martin Broadhurst. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 20 of Artificially Intelligent Marketing. We're glad you're here with us. I'm also glad to be joined by my good friend, Martin Broadhurst. Martin, how are you? I'm um, fantastic.
1: Thank you. Uh, glad to be back home after the adventures over to Cleveland for maycon 2023. Uh, listeners last uh, to last week's episode will have heard my report from there. Uh, but it was a great conference, met some fantastic people, and got some yeah insights and thought-provoking discussions around what AI means for organizations.
0: Yeah, so a little bit less on the technology front, I guess we're a bit inside baseball when it comes to the technology at this, at this juncture, but you really had some key insights and thoughts on organizational change and how, how do organizations actually start to bring some of this generative AI, especially power into their businesses?
1: Yeah, very much so. Uh, I think one of the most interesting discussions uh, from the whole conference was a fireside chat with uh, one of the senior marketing team from VMware. Now, this is an organization with 35,000 employees globally, 650 marketing uh, professionals in, in the team. And they have created earlier this year, I think it was February this year, they they put it together, an AI council. Now, this is made up of 30 uh, from the marketing team. And they meet regularly to discuss how the organization is going to use ai across the marketing piece that's everything from predictive analytics personalization through to generative ai and they're considering all sorts of things including the the ethics but which tools should they use you know really getting into the weeds to say you know should we be using this generative ai copywriting tool or this one you know they're, they're really getting into that and uh, i think that's a that was something that seemed to be a bit of a trend. The, the companies at the, the leading edge of this are, are dedicating resource to it, whether it's someone's full-time job, which seemed to be a rarity, or somebody's, somebody was built for it. Somebody had the accountability for AI within the organization. That definitely seemed to be more of a
0: trend for the forward-looking organizations. Very interesting stuff. I'm glad you uh, touched upon how to choose what, what tools to do what with because I can very effectively segue into letting the listeners know what we're going to cover today, because we have a slightly special episode this week, because Martin was lucky enough to catch up with Brennan Woodruff, Chief Business Officer over at Go Charlie. So we've got a fantastic interview with Brennan at the end of this podcast, um, sort of the sections that we normally do on the news, which we'll do in a moment, and then into that interview. So do look forward to that later on. In terms of the news stories, because we want to respect your time, lovely listeners, we're going to race through a couple of stories that we thought were the most important this week and then get straight into that interview. So the first story, Martin, is with you. It's about OpenAI. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah. So OpenAI announced this week that they're providing a way to block its bot from accessing your content, which is important because as marketers, we pour a lot of time, effort, energy into creating all of that website. Content, whether it's blog posts or product pages, it's all strategically designed to attract and engage with different customers and stuff. We don't necessarily want all of that IP getting slooped up by the AI bots without our permission. Uh, And that's certainly the case with the major publishers, such as newsrooms. Uh, So, OpenAI has given us the tools now that we need to protect our sites so we can control which pages the GPT bot can access and analyze and then incorporate into the training systems of their large language models. So what they've done is they've provided specific user agent string and some IP address ranges for their crawler so that we can now easily block the bot at a technical level uh, by updating our robots.txt file and our firewall rules. So very much like we can block search engines from indexing certain pages if we've got um, maybe we've got thank you pages or pieces of content on our website that we don't want indexed in search engines it's the exact same theory as that so that's going to help us safeguard any proprietary documentation that might be accidentally spidered um by the by the crawler so we can whether it's pdfs we can de-index those from the crawler and and all sorts it's just going to help us uh, keep proprietary information proprietary Uh, so another interesting thing to consider here is that there are loads of websites where there might be personally identifiable information and you know user generated content stuff that people are might be using our website but they don't want they're not saying that everyone in the world can access it's just maybe website users um, so now we can delist those pages to make sure that GPT-5 or, or whatever it's going to be in the future isn't trained on all of this uh, user-generated content as well if, if we don't want it to. So, um, yeah, at the end of the day, this is a, a great move for, for product marketers and, and just for webmasters and digital marketers uh, to have more control over what is indexed, analysed, and used in coming large language model training and uh yeah hat tip to uh open ai for the, the the transparency and acknowledging the concerns of publishers i think they uh, have had their feet held to the fire a little bit with some of the uh lawsuits that are coming up from the likes of new york times and sarah silverman and um, so yeah this is this is good for um for digital marketers to have more control over their content
0: yeah it's a i think it's an interesting one on the one hand the horse has already bolted on this so all your old content, would I go through and try and de-index my old content from OpenAI at this point? No, we have probably already scraped it. Or at least, you know, especially if I was a publisher and I had a lot of high quality content on my website, like a New York Times. Um, but it's good to know that we have control over restricting that information from going into the model from here forward. So in terms of building a strategy for this, it's probably a new, you know, new content production, build this into your workflow if you, if you don't want it to be scraped by bots. In terms of, a, uh, sorry, OpenAI's bots for, for training large language models. In terms of a strategy, it's not clear, is it yet? Yeah, I don't think whether or not, in some cases, we might want our content indexed, especially if it's quite brand heavy in terms of it's talking about what we can do specifically as a business and how we do it. Because actually, that might be the type of information and recommendations we want Bots to be giving if it's branded versus say general knowledge info. Well, I
1: saw a screenshot in a Facebook group that I'm part of, and it was uh, someone sketched, there was a chat GPT conversation, and within it it mentioned a particular brand and it had a link to their website. And the comment was, How has this company done that? And they the person sharing it was was asking it almost as if it was like. AI optimization, like in search engine optimization, it'd been optimized for this. Now, clearly it hadn't, and that's not the way ChatGPT works. It wasn't a conversation with plugins or anything. It was just, just a raw chat. So within the model, clearly the topic that they were talking about had this company that was referenced and within its knowledge base, and it shared the, the website address of this company. I think that's going to be if you can get lots of content that says you are aligned to a particular topic that's going to appear more in the in the models going forward now that's assuming that the architecture of these models stays the same as it is today which Mm. you know i highly doubt going forward come gpt5 i imagine things are going to look slightly different but um yeah i think people already have this perception about we need to optimize for for ai models even if that's not necessarily the case of how it works in reality.
0: Yeah, it's funny you should say that. I remember pre-GPT4, I asked um, ChatGPT to give me five life science marketing agencies. Um, And I was pleased to see that Biostrata was in the list, because certainly I can imagine that trying to make sure you end up in that list is not necessarily something that's going to be easy to control, but it is the type of question that somebody might reasonably go and ask a chatbot over a search engine in the future. So. Uh, Expect a whole scramble to try and think about how we can engineer the content on our sites to try and ensure that the models learn that we're a a relevant brand in whatever areas that we're playing in. Right. Let's look at our next story then. So um, there's been a couple of stories this week about generative uh, image AIs and protecting artists' work and how do we tell the difference between real images and fake images. So there's been some interesting stories here. So we heard about some initiatives, um, one of which was called C2PA, so which stands for Content Authenticity and Attribution. And it's kind of like a, tw- a Twitter blue tick verification system, but in this case for images. The tool uses uh, cryptography to tag content that's been generated by AI so that as humans or users of images, we can identify if an image is AI generated or not. Adobe has even incorporated C2PA, um, which kind of sounds like a character from Star Wars to me, uh, into Photoshop and Firefly, making it accessible to users. It is a system that you opt into, though, so it's not as if every image that you generate artificially is going to get tagged, at least not as it stands. Another initiative we saw on this kind of topic this week is PhotoGuard, which has been developed by the BODs over MIT. This tool protects your original images from being repurposed by AI and used as part of um, image AI training runs. So what they've done is they found a way to tweak an images pixels so that AI models like stable diffusion basically can't recognize them. It's all code driven at the moment, but there is plans we hear to have PhotoGuards API baked into different platforms so that you can easily sort of overlay your images with this sort of watermark or whatever that stops these tools from being able to index and use your images as part of their training runs in essence because even though humans can see what the image looks like it's kind of garbled for the ai tools so why does this matter for marketers well first and foremost these are pretty interesting tools um but they're kind of still a little bit Unproven at the moment. So, how easy will it be to sidestep them? Nobody knows currently, as far as I can tell. I think also you could argue that some of the large AI models, you know, mid journey, stable diffusion, have already consumed a vast amount of images. So, maybe that damage is going to be a bit hard to undo. So, it's a little bit like the first story from Martin in terms of probably images you've already put online. That ship has sailed, but your new images perhaps look at some of these tools. Um, I think as marketers, we really need to be aware of all these different developments so that we can be informed about the risks and the potential solutions when we as brands are creating content, Um, but also just the overall complexities of how these tools work and whether when we're using them, we're going to be infringing on the copyrights of other creatives and anything that can be built into this whole system to give it more credibility, I think is going to give brands more confidence in using these tools to generate images as part of their creative workflows there's definitely
1: a theme here isn't there of uh, how do you stop ai consuming your content yeah Um, this is very much front and center of people's thinking at the moment so um yeah i I was intrigued by the photo guard solution Uh, i'd like to get into the technical details of that to see how it's um how it's basically baffling the uh the diffusion models in in the pixel level obfuscation
0: yeah i think my biggest challenge i've had with it in the conversations that i've had online or um voyeured online some of which i've been proactive some i've just read is just the belief that these things are going to be quite easy to sidestep they have been so far and they will be in the future so whether this ends up being non news or not, because it gets sidestepped very quickly, um, I don't know. But I think you're right. I think this is where we're at in terms of people going, Oi, you took our content. You shouldn't have. Can we we want some money for it? And by the way, we want a mechanism to stop it happening in the future. And that's kind of where we're at. And then hopefully that'll get resolved very quickly and doesn't pull any of the tools down in terms of stopping us being able to use them. I spent I think some of us have become somewhat reliant on maybe using them in our workflow. So we've probably got to be mindful of that. But that hasn't happened yet, obviously. What about our next story then, Martin? Tell us about Meta's personas.
1: Meta are at it again, announcing some new products. Uh, so they've developed some AI-powered chatbots with unique personas to deploy across platforms such as Facebook and Instagram, and no
0: doubt in the future, Threads, uh, if it's still going, I saw threads. it had an eighty percent drop off in uh, active users uh, in a news story this week. So we're not. A, this isn't a social media podcast, but yes, a Threads at asterisk.
1: <laughs> I, if they can just add search to that tool, I will use it. I'm in there frequently enough. I just want to be able to search. Let me click on a hashtag. I don't ask for much. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyway, so these bots, these personas, um, aim to boost user engagement through personalized recommendations and conversational features, much like we'll have seen uh, through the likes of Inflections Pie, if you've been using that. So uh, it will allow Meta to also gather more user data, which, you guessed it, can be used for improved ad targeting, which I think has got some privacy advocates, uh, got them a bit concerned maybe but you know watch this space so uh, i think we're going to see more details about this at their conference in september at the connect conference what can we kind of expect as marketers though what's important for us well i think you know opportunities and challenges are very much at play here on the one hand these persona based bots should be able to give us a better understanding of our target audiences, and deliver more relevant personalized experience. I imagine those experiences will be genuinely engaging if we can plug them into uh, our corporate brand tone of voice and you know into things like knowledge bases and things like that. When you plug that into the likes of Llama and the, the recent update with Llama 2, this is going to be quite a powerful tool, I would imagine. Um, so yeah, lots of new chatbot-driven marketing opportunities. I think Facebook Messenger chatbots always felt like they were slightly underpowered historically. I don't know, mm. whenever I've tried to interact with them or even launched one for a client that I've done several times, they always just felt a little bit weak. So this potentially could um, open up some really new and exciting avenues. However, on the flip side, as I mentioned, privacy is going to be something of a concern for people. So. I think we'll need to closely monitor how Meta plans to leverage this additional user data. Mm. Um, this is obviously a massive consumer concern at the moment. Um, so we must ensure that whatever approach they take respects both user consent expectations and boundaries. Um, yeah, so that's an interesting new new product. I personally am quite excited to to roll this out for some clients. I think when you see consumer interactions on Facebook Messenger at scale, uh, the existing chatbots um, are, are quite limited, and I think there's there's massive opportunity here uh, to create more uh, more authentic feeling brand experiences.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think it'd be really interesting to see how it plays out. Really, will it be? Will it be like? I, but maybe a bit more commercialized in terms of products and services type conversations, or is or is Meta actually trying to leverage this very large base of users to actually over time switch those users to relying on its chat and persona interfaces rather than ChatGPT, Py or others, which I think is a TBD at the moment, and maybe we'll get a bit more information in their at their conference in September. Um, while we're talking about Meta, they have released some more news this week around the, some of the big AI bets that they are making on Instagram. So, outside of this personas tool and, and work that they're doing, they've been cooking up some new AI powered features for marketers and creators on the Instagram platform. So, they are reportedly developing tools that will label um, AI generated images, summarize um, DMs, and enhance editing. For your images with AI driven super clever brushes there are n- there's no info really yet on when these new capabilities are going to be launched but certainly the news is chock-a block with meta um, AI developments for us as marketers certainly the AI labeling could help manage misinformation and build trust in terms of what images are real and, and what are not so again, back to the thread of this entire podcast so far, some of the other, um, applications have very practical benefits. So the DM summaries could help brands and influencers managers make their, uh, sort of direct message conversations at scale. Uh, and it looks like some of the new editing tools could make it easier for content creators to create really high quality content quickly and easily. So for us as marketers, We know that AI is playing a bigger role in lots of different um, social platforms. LinkedIn are doing a fair bit of this as well. But we just need to keep an eye on this because if you use Instagram as a channel, really understanding how you can supercharge your approach using these AI-driven tools, whilst at the same time being mindful of other aspects of how the platform works that you might need to be mindful of. For example, for those of you out there generating AI images and passing them off as your own photography. Something like this uh, automatic I- image labeling tool is probably going to get you in a little bit of hot water. And we perhaps need to be mindful that whenever we are using AI generated images in our marketing programs, especially on Instagram in this case, how we as a brand feel about the whole world knowing that the images that we are using were created by AI versus human graphic designers. Could we see backlashes to brands? Who knows? So I think there's a bunch of other complex stuff that we just need to keep an eye on here the dm summaries
1: for brands that get huge amount of user engagement i think that's going to be massive um that will help you know just anything that can help manage a busy inbox um so if you're a social media community manager that is a tool to keep an eye on
0: yeah auto flagging the high priority messages based on content and sentiment and all these other things yeah completely agree uh what else has been happening this week martin Google, they're in the game of oh, Google. Google.
1: Thanks for stopping by. What have they been up to? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they are planning to give uh, Google assistant, a major upgrade by incorporating generative AI. Um, so that means that Google assistant, which, uh, Droid, you probably have this active quite a bit, um, has, it will soon have similar capabilities to chat GPT and Bard, and this has apparently been revealed in an internal email sent to Google employees. Um, So why does this matter? Well, uh, Assistant is a really big interface for consumers, It's a channel that as marketers, we don't really think about, um, but it is how lots of people interface every day with Google, the biggest search engine in the world. Um, So being aware of of these new capabilities and thinking about how we use google as a general t- channel to reach people is going to be quite important now this revamp is um taking place apparently on the mobile version first i think that's how most people will use assistant anyway i am not even sure i've ever used google assistant on desktop um, so that's where we expect the revamp um to to begin Google, not the only company making moves in this area in terms of grading their smart assistant. Amazon is also believed to be working on a bit of an AI-powered reboot for the uh, assistant who shall not be named. for fear of triggering it right <laughs> now. <laughs> Every time I, I, I come to that word, I think, stop. And so, uh, yeah, if you're listening to this on uh, your speaker's, at home be thankful that i didn't just trigger it anyway so uh, google and amazon uh are they they've really put less focus on the smart assistants in in recent they've remained relatively static in terms of their capabilities um but the the resurgence and influx of users into generative ai has uh has them all scrambling to kickstart their digital assistant programs once again
0: yeah we've been t- it feels to me like we've been talking for years like seo experts that want to be ahead of the game and advising us on how we need to pivot and evolve our seo strategies have been like yeah you're going to be needing to think voice first you got to think voice first and i'm not really sure that it has emerged yet um this may further change how people interact with computers and we've got a news item on the the potential future of chat gpt and the uh, the emergence of gpt5 that we can look at in a moment that's also aligned to this but it could certainly change us how we're using them and as in a little tangent i was um we've talked a bit on the podcast about building our own tools right with uh you've done some really awesome stuff taking auto um taking a, a recording of a piece of audio like when you do some of your live conference workshops And automatically turning that into a blog post through a transcription series of process steps, et cetera. One of the things I've been getting really frustrated with recently is I was like, I asked ChatGPT to help me build a Chrome plugin. It was awesome. We had a great conversation about it. One of the things I learned about it, assuming this is is true, is you can do a lot of transcription in the like in the browser. Like there is a built-in piece of code in the browser to do transcription, but it's the buggy transcription that we're all used to using whenever we perhaps even speak to your keyboard which i often try and do when i'm tell you want to send text messages or what have you or write emails um which just completely lacks the power of what um transformer models have brought to to transcription um so we're drifting into that easier that that period where it's going to be easier and easier to just speak to your computer like i found it, i find it much easier to get my ideas down if i speak for i'm i don't think i've mentioned it on the podcast yet but as you know Mike and i abandoned some of the workflows i was building because i found this awesome tool called audiopen.ai absolute sexy transcription tool that i speak to on my phone or in the browser and not does not only does it transcribe it beautifully and keep a record of that it uses gpt4 to summarize it in a number of any different styles that i want to use and you can certainly imagine that you might be able to now be in the kitchen cooking and dictating emails to Google Assistant in a way where not only does it really understand you well, but actually it can take the content you give it and transcribe it in a meaningful way. For me, that would be pretty cool. I think we even talked about mine. Were you thinking about doing this in a car at one point? Yeah, it, just as you were saying that, I thought, ah, yeah, that reminds me of uh, that use
1: case I had where I use, I use Google Auto or Android Auto, should I say, all the time. Um, for sending WhatsApp messages to my wife or telling it to make phone calls and the amount of times I've wanted to be able to say, um, add something to my calendar or, or draft an email to such and such, and just give it more complex tasks. And I, I know it's not been capable of doing it. Uh, I've just wanted to record voice notes that I wanted it to turn into blog posts, but again, not been able to do it. Um, as an aside, the, um, Android app for ChatGPT dropped um, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, globally. So I've been playing with that. And that has audio input, doesn't it? So you can actually um, voice record. And that's been uh, a revelation for me. So as I was just wandering around the house, just capturing a few voice notes and seeing what I get out of it, um, really useful if people aren't using that. um, Check it out, because it uses the Whisper API. And you can just say, right. um, Draft me my email nurturing campaign for this um uh, in fact, I did it the other day with a for for a client I came up with a an email nurturing campaign for uh for their upcoming uh product launch and yeah it worked great. and you were just dictating it as you were wandering yeah, around yeah. the house instead yeah. of having to try and type it out right yeah, yeah, just I was literally um making a cup of tea
0: there's a movie called her, which is about um ai assistants where in the end people like end up falling in love with their ai assistants it's a little bit too left field probably for us to get into onto the podcast today but what the world end up ends up looking like in that world is everybody has an earpiece in and they're not looking at their phone so much as constantly talking to their assistant so it would be interesting to think about whether it really does push us to interact with computers via voice and little segue uh, into our last story this week, which, uh, oh no, it's our second to last story, I should say, which is that OpenAI has filed the trademark for GT- GPT 5, um, which is perhaps not super surprising, right? They're going to need that. But the um, trademark application um, has certain aspects in it around what they expect GPT 5 to include. And so maybe that's where the more interesting stuff is. So the application, which was submitted. A couple of weeks ago, July 18th, is currently in process and it covers various a- aspects of AI tech like artificial speech, audio to text conversion, voice and speech, speech recognition, um, and a bunch of other stuff as it relates to speech processing. And what it really feels like is trying to turn ChatGPT from a text-based tool into a tool you can speak to and it speaks back to you. That, that that's kind of, I think, some of the inferences here. And as marketers, if we even just take the first order consequences of that, creating more interactive and immersive customer experiences that are more like spoken conversations with real people, right? If you can, if you can skin that tech as part of your customer service offering, either when people ring you on the phone or when they go on your, on your website to talk to a chat bot, they can choose to have it as a text interaction or as a spoken interaction. It's just going to make it more like dealing with real, with real people. This is something you can already access a bit like this. So we've talked on the podcast before about Pi. So if you're using Pi on WhatsApp, you can basically record a voice note in WhatsApp. It will transcribe it and then respond to you in text. And if you interact with Pi on the web app, then you have to write what you are trying to say, but then it speaks back to you. So it's almost like they've untangled those two things and haven't brought them together in the same place yet. But there does seem to be a movement towards that. And of course, with your news there, Martin, about Google Assistant, I do feel that's where we're probably moving. Another key question here is, GPT-5 and the trademarking, is it really coming? Or is this, again, a bit of sort of buzz and non-news? And the senior team at OpenAI, were quite lucky. They're relatively vocal, aren't they? You know, we'll hear from them on Twitter. We'll hear from them on a number of podcast interviews. So we do get a reasonable stream of info coming out of the company but the story around gpt5 is muddled at best as far as i can tell and whether we're gonna see it in the near future is very open to debate i think the most recent thing i heard or read was they are basically primed to do a gpt5 training run at any moment but it sounds to me like they're actually using market conditions and the activities of their competitors to inform that strategy rather than actually having a scheduled plan for when GPT-5 will be trained and live. But again, all of that just comes with a fairly large dose of salt.
1: I am not even thinking about GPT-5 until I've got multimodal image inputs with GPT-4 and a 32K window. As promised. As promised. Yeah. Let, let's get that first. And we'll worry about the rest later. I
0: suspect that that is the truest state of affairs, mine. I agree. Why don't you give us our last story? Back to meta for this one. They've open sourced
1: again because they are champions of open sourcing models. uh, Audiocraft, which is some kind of AI sound magic. So it's a text to audio tool called Audiocraft. And it can generate any type of sound that you can imagine. Apparently, so we're talking about music, melodies, soundtracks, sound effects, um, even breaking down sounds into smaller pieces. So if you wanted to say a person stood in a large echoey cathedral, clicking their fingers, it would apparently be able to do this. Uh, So what about its music capabilities? Well, uh, you can pretty much make songs, compositions, melodies, simply by describing it. so whether you've got the kind of type of music, the genre, instrumentals, tempo, um, all of this, even maybe the style of a specific musician or a song, you can just say it and then it will produce it. Um, now, again, this isn't just music, as I say. So sound effects, you can use this for films, video games, podcasts, ad jingles, you know. Get you it could be the next uh, radio jingle, and the next earworm. I love that. Ha- <laughs> <Yeah>. I <laughs> yeah,
0: love the mean, idea of using AI to create a jingle that you then share using FM radio, old school <laughs> tech.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what we, we we marketers do, eh? Um, so apparently, um, they Meta has gone above and beyond to ensure that every of the twenty thousand hours of music that is been used to train Audiocraft has been properly licensed. So the the discussion that we've talked about in all in today's episode about having content that is uh, licensed and tagged and marked as training data, they have ticked that bill. So we don't have to worry about any copyright issues there. Uh, Audiocraft is now open source. So I'm sure you're going to be able to see some very innovative projects in the near future with various products being built on top of it um so you can get your hands on the code and start building your own audio masterpieces today
0: yeah it sounds like from the chat online i've only seen a bit of it to be honest that this is the new the new standard in being able to synthesize all different types of audio through text alone and uh I think Google had some tools for this, but apparently these seem much better. And I think taken in, in summary, the ongoing explosion in generative AI continues, whether that's images and text, which we've become used to. But now we're starting to see the emergence of video and music and other audio really starting to catch up and, and offer us a bunch of opportunities to do cool stuff there.
1: There's one thing on that I just want to, to touch on, which is the... Um... There's an interesting thought in the space, if you're following prompt engineering communities or anything, and it's basically this idea that in order to get the best outputs from any generative AI model, so ChatGPT or what have you, um, the the best way to get great outputs is to be a subject matter expert in the thing that you're talking about, because you know the right questions to ask, the nuances, the subtleties, um, you know where it's not quite got it right. I think this is going to be exactly the same, right? I do not have a musical bone in my body. Uh, If you give me the audio craft, I will give you crappy audio output, (laughs) but I would well imagine that this generative AI model in the hands of a composer is going to be an awesome tool. And that's going to be able to expand the capabilities of musicians, composers, SFX engineers, all the rest of it. Um, It's going to be a boom for them.
0: I completely agree. I, I guess the other way of looking at that and would be also, if I think about image generation tools, the early versions of this might be frustrating for um, skilled musicians to use because they know what they want and they try and explain it, but the tools can't quite give it and then they can't easily amend it or edit it, right? which is what mid-journey images to a certain extent are still like, right? You describe it. But you can't get, if you can't quite get the thing you want, you've got to iterate through your prompts forever. And you think, crumbs, maybe it would have been easier to just do this a different way in some cases. Maybe we'll see that as well in music and video generation for a while yet. Right. Well, last part today then is our interview with Brennan Woodruff. So tell us a bit about this interview as a quick introduction, Martin.
1: So, in my conversation with Brennan, uh, he is the co founder of Go Charlie. Um, we explore all sorts of interesting themes from the realities of building a startup inside the rapidly evolving AI space uh, through to how the product itself will empower businesses and marketers to make content at scale. Uh, but we also have a fascinating discussion around AI agents and how AI agents could automate passive income streams in the future the discussion around ai agents is is definitely or it's a space to watch in future not maybe not just the discussion but yeah ai agents autonomous beings operating 24 7 imagine chat gpt just running in the background doing things for you all day every day yeah it was definitely thought-provoking
0: well i uh, will look forward to listening to it and hopefully all of you will now as we segue into it other than that, thank you for your time again, Martin. I look forward to chatting to you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready to meet a pioneer in the world of
1: AI. He's at the cutting edge of generative AI, using it to transform marketing and business. With Go Charlie, he and his team have created the first multimodal generative content engine purpose built for marketing. Go Charlie has taken the world by storm, hitting number one on Product Hunt not just once, but twice. Brennan has a relentless spirit needed for leading a startup. He's a supportive mentor and he's a great community manager, as demonstrated by the passionate and engaged Go Charlie fans on the company's Facebook group. All 1,700 of them, I believe. Mm-hmm. Brennan has assembled a world-class team of AI experts to bring Go Charlie to life. And he's been an advisor to countless startups, always happy to pay it forward. At his core, Brennan is an innovator driven by creativity and human connection. He believes AI should empower people, not replace them. It's this unique blend of tech expertise and emotional IQ that makes him such an interesting person to speak to today. So get ready for an enlightening and entertaining chat with the one and only Brennan Woodruff, co-founder and chief business officer at Go Charlie.
2: Wow. Uh, quite the introduction. I, I would love if you were able to introduce me for every event. That that was fantastic, Martin. Thank you for uh, thank you for such a in depth discussion. All the things that you hope that people say about you uh, come into life. This is awesome.
1: What can I say? You've got a good LinkedIn profile. <laughs> Charlie may have helped
2: with some of those things.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, you, you've got to practice what you preach. Hey, on that. So oh. I. I uh, yeah, I mentioned the, uh, the Facebook group. That's one of the places where we, we've engaged a lot. That's a, a, a great little resource that you've, uh, you've built out there.
2: Yeah, it's, um, I think early days with a startup, the, the biggest problem you can have is not talking to customers, not engaging with customers. And so fortunately for us, uh, Facebook ended up being a great community. We've seen a lot of AI companies go the route of discord. Um, I don't know if there's any gamers listening to this, but Discord kind of reminds me of Unreal Tournament versus like the Halo that is using Slack and Slack's a little more my speed, Facebook community, a little more my speed. Unreal Tournament is just way beyond my speed. Uh, so we've been fortunate enough to have customers that want to share feedback, want to share with other customers. And, and it's just been a big part of our, our ethos since we started.
1: Great. Right, now it does seem like there's some good, uh, good ideas and inspiration. I see lots of. People giving feedback, and you're always asking for it as well. So, I feel like I've jumped ahead there, maybe <laughs> just uh, a little bit. Uh, in the introduction, I mentioned uh, Go Charlie. So, can you give us a an overview of what Go Charlie is for anyone that hasn't come across it?
2: Yeah, so Go Charlie is a generative AI platform for creating top quality marketing content. You know, we have sort of a thesis on what makes perfect content. It's a combination of a Language model purpose built for the things that you need it to do, combined with a brand voice engine, a knowledge of your products, a knowledge of your competitive landscape, uh, and then the target audience platform that you're uh, planning to post to, and a couple other special ingredients. But uh, for us, we tried to build that into a subscription based product so that people could ultimately grow their business and pursue their dreams. Both my parents were uh, were entrepreneurs themselves, and so I saw firsthand the impact that. Relationship-driven businesses took when everything moved to digital, uh, and so I wanted to give tools to my parents that they could use to market their own business, and and that's where we really got the idea for Go Charlie.
1: So it's very much focused then on on the marketing and kind of business content production, and this isn't a fluffy, you know, I'm sure I can write poems, but you know, this is, this is focused on the business
2: user. For, for now, yes. I I increasingly think that uh, SMBs, even creators, even the everyday person is going to have to know how to create content to market themselves on the internet. So while I think B2B kind of fits the construct of what we sort of view as who our target customer would be, I think that second B is is becoming a lot more blurred with C, if, if you know that mm. B to C versus B to B comparison. But it's definitely more tailored towards marketers that need a more advanced tool. But I do think with some of the AI models coming online that you'll start to see us being able to do some of those more creative uh, works, such as poems or my personal favorite dad jokes and dog puns.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, you do. You do
2: love a dog pun.
1: Um, Of course, uh, what's the story behind the name Charlie and the mascot?
2: Yeah, so Charlie is, uh, well, maybe a fun fact for listeners. So originally the company was called Gaudium.ai. And I'm going to be honest with you. Most of you probably couldn't pronounce Gaudium. I couldn't pronounce Gaudium. Everyone that we got on the phone call with was like Gaudium, Gaudium. And then more importantly, no one could spell it. Right. So that was the other big piece of this. And we, we, we kind of took that away and we were like, well, we've been calling our AI model, Charlie. And then I was like, should we just call the company, Charlie? Like go Charlie, like literally you're telling your dog to go do something. It's kind of like you're telling your AI to go do something. It's fun. It feels magical. You're telling your dog to go do something same way as AI model. And so Charlie was actually the name of Costas, my co-founder's, uh, dog. So there's a real Charlie, which we sometimes occasionally share content about in the, the Facebook group, but that really gave birth to this, this, uh, new age AI puppy that many people think we're selling instead of actual content generation capabilities. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw that you were asking for, uh, a few, a few months ago on uh, LinkedIn, asking if there was any AI animated tools that you could get to animate the, the dog. Um, and I did. And think at the time oh, that's a nice play, but yeah, people are going to start thinking you're a character AI before long. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. I've actually went back and forth with our new newly hired CMO about like gifts that I want to give to early customers and investors, and I was like, we should do a dog collar so people can talk and show like the dog collar on their dogs. And she's like, we're not a dog company. We are a martech you're an ai company that just happens to have a dog mascot and i was like okay fine fine but you know if we get enough puppy lovers maybe maybe the charlie dog collars will come we'll see
1: let's not write it out i expect to see it at um martech conferences around the world but who needs a laptop sticker when they can walk around with their, with their dog collars you mentioned there your um uh, co-founders and and the team behind it so so who are the brains behind GoCharlie then? What's what are their roles?
2: Yeah. So we we had a four-person bounding team, which I know is a little larger than than most these days, uh, but just some huge technical firepower. Um we, so Kosas Hatalis is our CEO, AI PhD, 10 years of applied AI experience, was one of the fathers of probabilistic forecasting neural networks, which ultimately was what Transformers are based off of. Uh, so he's wicked. He's built pretty much our AI from the ground up. And then we paired him with Despina Christou, uh, who's our chief AI scientist. She, I regularly refer to her as Wonder Woman. Uh, she's built NLP solutions for Oracle and 4,500 companies uh, and has really been tasked with bringing Charlie to life in the AWS ecosystem as well. Uh, so 20 years of applied AI experience. And then we have a four-time founder, CTO, Ryan Carlton, basically built the product experience from the ground up by himself, which we have a very advanced product uh, capability-wise. And so the fact that he was able to do that on his own, front-end, back-end, everything is incredible. So I'm just the lucky guy that gets to talk about all these amazing people, uh, try to sell the product, try to uh, get partnerships, try to fundraise. Um, And I was previously at SoftBank and Uber's autonomous vehicle group uh, before that. So we have... A pretty good team of AI expertise, I would say, and now we're really starting to flex that technical muscle over the next year, I would say
1: yeah, and you, I mean that is, there, there are some credentials there worth paying attention to for sure um on the 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 technical things to come um I'm really interested in what what you've done and what you've been talking about, so you've got kind of a secret source, haven't you over at Go Charlie, and your your marketing-focused LLM that is yours from the ground up? Am I right in, have I understood that correctly?
2: Yeah, yeah. So we uh, have taken a slightly different approach. There's a lot of people trying to do AI for marketing. Um, I, I won't go too far into my thought about app layer until maybe a later question that we'll probably get into, but app layer versus model layer. But we felt that at the onset, we always wanted to create AI that was useful and valuable. And for us, that meant creating an AI that could serve as the foundation for the rest of our product suite. And so in the early days, GoCharlie was a collection of models. So we had some open AI, we had some of our own uh, image recognition, computer vision, uh, image creation. And now we're consolidating that down into just our own product suite. So we have Charlie, the large language model. We're also in active development on a multimodal model. So that'll be text and image in, text and image out. That's with SRI International, the guys that developed Siri, uh, which is pretty cool. Like the fact that those guys are in, in with us is is pretty awesome for this guy from Evansville, Indiana. And then, uh, and then we're also releasing a Charlie, the agent, which is kind of an AI brain that can sit on top of the large language model and multimodal capabilities, as well as additional API tooling. So giving you the ability to execute across a number of thousands of tools and capabilities and tasks, all with a few simple words. Um, So yeah, that's kind of what we have on the technical horizon. But the large language model itself has been pretty amazing. Uh, We have like a blind user test, like kind of like a Coke versus Pepsi test, um, which I think you may have even gotten to try, which is like you put a prompt in and you get a prompt or you get an output from Charlie and another state-of-the-art model. And we're winning over 85% of those tasks, which is just truly exceptional given the size of the team we have relative to some of these other state-of-the-art models. So um, yeah, we're, we're excited. That's hopefully going to be live to the public here soon via API. So even more fun to be had with Charlie.
1: Yeah, and that the the ability to do the the test is that publicly available? Can listeners go and, and play with that?
2: Yeah, we right have we, a, we have a playground. Um, we we opened it up to the public, so you don't have to necessarily be a Charlie customer. Although we would love for you to be using the software product as well. Uh, I think for me, one of the fascinating things with the playground was just understanding the step up and the value of having the software layer. And I know you've probably experienced this yourself. You go to OpenAI's chat, GPT, like that's pretty close to a raw model part. But then you have apps like Jasper where they've been very successful building on top of those models. And so you go into a raw playground and you're like, oh, well, I wanted to do this or why can't I export or why can't I do that? And it's like, okay, well, that's a software solve. And so you start to think about like how much value does the AI model in and of itself have? And then more interestingly, I think the both of us is like how that evolves. Like, can the AI model be truly the entire product? Whereas you, do you need a combination of software plus AI? And I think the answer is the latter, but interesting thought exercise.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. And and yeah, I think we actually see that in the way that chat GPT in and of itself came about, didn't we, you know, we, we, the large language models or the underlying model behind chat GPT back in November. You know november 1st you could use gpt3 you could use it and you could build on it and you could access the model and play with it yeah but nobody nobody did i say you know quote unquote nobody did um <laughs> I mean, november 30th or you know end of december everybody did yeah and it was because it was suddenly as easy as using whatsapp or using um you know whatever facebook messenger um but it, like you say, it still is very much a—it's it's, it's the closest thing you can get to having that raw model interaction um, that most people would want to use. You know, send people to playground.openai.com and show somebody a top P setting and then watch them You'd panic slightly as they go, I don't know what it does. And other people say to them, no, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure. I'll just move the temperature one and
2: yeah and, and you find that some of these early adopters they're they're like hard code or hardcore coders like they may mm. want to get into the technical weeds like i think mass adoption for these tools like it has to be super simple like prompting i think is it's gonna have to go the way of like obsolete and it's just gonna have to feel like you're talking to a friend but like there's some people that really want to get into the technical weeds and the early adoption side of things you're like how do i change this scaler and how do i do this and that was something that is us building towards mass adoption was an interesting part. You might be building bells and whistles for these early adopters that the masses don't care about. Yeah, very much so. And actually would, would find actively off putting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I found, you know, when you see, um, tools like Microsoft copilot and you see the video and how easy that promises is going to make kind of classic office productivity and how it promises to do all of that um even that is going to have to be incredibly simple like you talked there about prompting like users like my mother who has had an office job all of her life she knows how to use excel she knows how to use microsoft word and outlook and all of that but does she want to learn how to craft a prompt in order to get her spreadsheet to do the thing that she's been doing by clicking here, 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 and here, you know, people might say, well, it will save you 20 clicks. 20 clicks is fine. If you know the 20 click, like (laughs) having to, having to sit there and be like, "Oh God, it's not quite doing it. Now I've got to, maybe if I, um, if, if, if I do chain of thought prompting, I can get it to make me a pivot table. No, I can just click on it and it'll make me a bloody pivot table.
2: Yeah. It's, it's like, are, are we, I, I asked my team this question quite quite a bit, which is like, are we wittily spending a bunch of money and time and resources to get a 5% incremental improvement on this experience? Like, it would be great if this AI model could make a perfect image on the first try. But if it doesn't, I'm throwing that image out or I'm giving a different prompt. It, if the AI screws up my data table, like I'm definitely not coming back to that. And <laughs> I I think we're, we're just this iteration or two away from, from the ai actually being able to do it with any sort of reliability but it always sucks when you see like the really plot demo video and then you get into the product experience it is just nothing like it whatsoever I, it's it's basically like the internet games you see advertised all the time where they look really cool in the video and then you start playing and you're like this is off
1: yeah yeah it's the, the the promised land versus the actual reality i mean we had a similar thing actually me and paul um were talking on the show recently about code interpreter and how he stuck a bunch of data into code interpreter. It was some um, uh, uh, data about a, a client project, and he was trying to get it to analyze. Oh no, it wasn't that. It was um, it was timesheets within his within his agency, mm. and tried to 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 analyze you know profitable jobs versus non profitable jobs and utilization rates and all of that. And he, he has this already, so he knows the data and that's why he was using on a data set that he was familiar with to see if it matched what it told him. And, um, on several occasions, it was just wrong. It's like straight up hallucinated, made up stuff. Um, and you don't have to do that many times before you just like, well, I'm just not going to bother.
2: If, if, if autonomous self-driving vehicles had the level of reliability that people are talking generative AI software at, we would never have autonomous driving vehicles.
1: No, no, it would.
2: Absolutely In in like that, like we we were talking about this before the podcast, like that influences where you can actually put AI into into service in your organization. Like in, I even get there with many customers where it's like, maybe a rules-based solution is what you need. Maybe you don't need a massive generative AI model to create these personalized emails where only three sentences are personalized. Maybe that's just not the thing to do. And I I think it's going to be really interesting to see play out. I think some of that hype is already going away, but like even on a personal basis, Code Interpreter scared the hell out of me from its functionality suite because it is very impressive some of the things I've seen it do. But reliability is just such a problem in this space, even from the people that are the best at it.
1: Yeah, very much so. It's, it's interesting that you, you talk there about you know, a rules-based approach. I uh, had a client approach me recently, um, wanted to bring me in on a, a an AI project. They were halfway through this uh, kind of change management piece and wanted to introduce some AI. And they were very keen to introduce some AI, I should reiterate this. They were really keen to introduce some AI. And when I sat down with them, they didn't need AI, they needed some fairly simple marketing automation, yeah, you know, kind of standard workflow stuff that you would build in a HubSpot campaign, you know, just some rules-based systems. It was, uh, but because AI is everywhere, I think it's blinded
2: people to, um,
1: the, the solutions are, are really well-established and work really quite well.
2: Yeah. And I think it all gets back to that perception thing. Like most people's perception, even in the business world of what AI is, is all based off of Hollywood the the, in like that's the narrative that the media has picked up too is like mass labor replacement it's like no no it's not there yet it could potentially get there but it's uh i think that we're going to kind of see a cooling off of the hype cycle as people start to see that a little bit
1: yeah i i I tend to agree now i said in the um in the intro you've just said something that's quite interesting about the hollywood the the kind of jobs replacement and I said in the intro that you believe AI should empower people and not not replace them, so um, given that use case, then i'm a, I'm a business owner, I'm, I'm looking for an AI solution. how How am I going to turn to to go, Charlie, in its present form? What's it going to do for me? Give me those, Give me those use cases that your customers are finding
2: really powerful? Yeah, so I, I think our platform has been built flexible enough to where different life cycles of the company. It can have different value levers. Um, we actually did a, a session for SF Tech Week. It was uh, a- AI-driven content creation. And so we, we literally went through the lifecycle of a company. So I asked, like, who in the audience wants to start a company? Hasn't really put pen to paper on it. Person raised their hand. They came up. We created the name for the company. We created a brand profile. We created the channels that they should address first. And then the co- first couple pieces of content for that. And then we kind of moved up the maturity cycle into a company that already had a website and was already starting to sell some product. And for them, it's more just about growth and continuing to tell consistent messaging across platform. So we moved from foundational to growth stage. And from there, we were able to create a bunch of content purely based off their website, work they had already done, pin they had already put to paper, and turn that into several social media campaigns so they can now become omnichannel with their their growth strategy. And then I think for the, the the more later stage companies where they have a new product launch, we see it being more that assistant of telling that message across a number of different channels, helping you uh, with your SEO, helping you really just 10x, 100x the content that you might have been putting out there with the same team uh, using GoCharlie. Our primary focus has mostly been on SEO as well as social media content creation. But I think we have a very interesting suite called content repurposing, which is a bit of a mouthful. But my, my thinking there is like, it allows you to create with anything as source material, it allows you to use videos, talks that you've given blogs, maybe even co-write with people that you respect their, their own thought leadership on. And so we've given you those tools. So it no longer becomes just a, hey, we're helping you market. It also helps you establish authority. And so for those businesses who are starting out, I think that's, that's the way we think about it.
1: Content repurposer or whatever the product is called. Yeah, um, it, 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 that's a, every time I've shown that to people and I've shown, I've shown that to dozens of businesses now, um, on, on various workshops, uh, specifically the video. So yeah. they're just rowing in a YouTube link and going, write me a blog. Yep. Yeah. And and watching people's response because they, they are, they are so skeptical and the quality of it is good. You know, as with any AI, I would always encourage people to make edits, make it your own, Mm -hmm. but for a first draft, what it gives you
2: is like, wow, that was, oh, that was pretty impressive. Yeah. And it's, I think that product itself is testament to when you put some of these models together, you start to get some really insane, uh, workflow productivity benefits, like content repurposing, even just the workflow you were talking about, going from a YouTube video to a blog. In the past, you would have to use a transcription service to transcribe it. Then you would have to go review that transcription and make sure that it was accurate. Then you would have to take that and summarize it into the main points. Then you would have to take those main points and determine what content you wanted to make from that. We're just doing that all in one step. And then, even in a couple other clicks, you can go from having a blog to having a blog and social media campaign, having some thought leadership posts for social. So now you're actually extending the life of your content over a much longer period of time by just backlinking through additional pieces that all draw off the same source material. So I think models working together is going to be a trend that we start to see a lot more uh, in the future. I certainly
1: see that in the way that i'm playing with certain tools as well like you know using zapier to to build workflows using things like transcription tools so you know the whisper api and, and sticking real-time content into there and having it grow into my google drive a summarization of the meeting that i was just at or, or, or what have you um, in fact, I went to a, a talk the other day, it was back you know, just got back home from, uh, the Mekong conference. There was a local talk, um, there's some project going on in the city that I live in, in Derby and, uh, I recorded that and just took it straight up to, to whisper and got it to spit out a nice little summary of the whole session with the key points and next steps and ideas for how I could get involved. And I thought, that's just, yeah, you know, just a really neat way of bringing these different models together. Um, yeah.
2: I, I, I got to ask, since we're since you mentioned, uh, who's your football club? Uh, the, the mighty Derby County.
1: Oh, wow. We're sitting all the way in League One at there the moment, having, having been relegated from the Premier League in 2008 with the lowest points total in history. We scored 11 points and won one game all season.
2: Hey, you know, being memorable is always something <laughs> worthwhile, <laughs> right? I'm <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, personally a uh, Spurs fan, but... They seem poised to never return to Champions League glory.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you, you, and you look like you're about to lose Harry Kane as well to the
2: yeah Munich. I know. I used to slick my hair back like his, and people would call me Harry Kane. I like to think I'm a little more distinguished now, but yeah, that's just me.
1: If, if you haven't seen it uh, in the past week or two, he just did an episode on
2: hot ones. On oh. the first week, oh yeah. It's worth a watch. Yeah, hopefully my AI ambitions take me somewhere near sports at some point, but we'll we'll see.
1: (laughs) Are you uh, are you much of a baseball fan?
2: No, I'm a basketball fan. If there's any Hoosiers listening, I'm a Indiana Hoosier. uh, So basketball is my jam. Baseball, baseball, I enjoy going to a game every now and again, but baseball or basketball is definitely me.
1: I always try and catch a a major league game when I'm over in the states, but Fortunately, light cancellations uh this year scuppered me from seeing the Guardians which was a
2: oh no, because a shame. All right, but, we'll have to have you back over uh when I'm back in San Francisco and we can do a Giants game. Do a Giants game? Yeah, I'd be, be definitely up for that.
1: Uh so, let's get back on topic. I'm interested you're building um uh, an AI startup. I'm guessing that it's not all roses all of the time. <laughs> Talk me through some of the uh, the challenges of this this business.
2: Yeah, I think there's, there's some that are unique to us and there's some that are unique to the space. And so um, I, I won't spend as much time on the unique to us because maybe they won't be as relevant for the listeners. But I think just being first-time founders, regardless of our pedigree, I think works against you in a space that many people expected rightfully that incumbents would start to move into once the dam sort of broke of getting these products out there. Uh, I think another is just when you're starting out, like usually it takes a couple years before you're kind of like, all right, this is the idea. This is the identity we're going to be. And we kind of shot out of the gate with one idea of what we were going to be. But then as the space just took off, you might find that that initial focal area is not the area you want to spend long-term time in. Uh, so that was that's definitely been a, a difficult spot for us. It's so just how do you steer the ship and have some sort of clear idea of where you're going as the space is constantly evolving and more players are coming in. Um, now, being in the AI space itself is it's fascinating. It's frustrating. It's definitely not all roses, as you mentioned. Uh, you have big players releasing models and spending money in a way that you will never be able to as a startup. You have... Yeah, uh, startups that had a couple of years head start and a much better go to market motion, like I respect a lot of Jasper for what they were able to accomplish so quickly before many weren't even knowledgeable about the space. And I think they will continue to be a player, but much like us, we're still figuring out like, how do you play alongside these large incumbents and get them championed to your cause? Um, I think the other thing is just like we're a remote based team that's always fun. And then I think you're kind of going through this pandemic transition into more people wanting to be back in person. And so a lot more business is being done in person. And how do you change your startup's uh, capital spend when you need to incorporate travel a little bit more? And what comes off the books versus that? Uh, But the AI space is, it's, it's troublesome. I think it's got a lot of the same risk, though, that you might have with being a retailer that's selling on Amazon, right? Like a retailer selling on Amazon always runs the inherent risk that uh, you might get copied and become a commodity good for Amazon. And they might start selling your product at a lower price. Same way with AWS's cloud, same way with Google's cloud, same way with Microsoft's cloud, they all have their own models that they're hawking. So like, how do you get them bought into your cause so that you can build on top of these behemoths worth of infrastructure? I actually think that's largely why inflection and open AI are starting to build their own infrastructure because they're realizing the power of these cloud providers, and they don't want to be a part of that, uh, remains to be seen how that will work out long-term. But I think the other piece is just like, there's so much noise. There's so many celebrity founders that are getting funded by their, their larger VC friends that they've cultivated over years, cultivated this image over a year, we're a relatively new kid on the block. And so in that regard, you have to like make a lot of noise in a new way. And there's a lot more expectations. You have to like pull off the 100x. You can't get away with the 10x. Like the celebrity founder doing 10x is going to be able to pull off a huge round. The relatively unknown founder is going to have to pull off 100x to really make noise and get the funding. Um, So I think it's just like keeping yourself mentally stable in in an area of so much noise and just keeping that determination going. I know that's a lot more psychologically driven than like how hard it is to play in the AI space. But I think that's, for me, been more part of it than than just like being in the AI space.
1: I think there is something to startup life, which requires that resilience of mind. And, sure. you know, that is, it's not a space that I want to play in. Um, so, you know, hats off to, to all of you that are Living in it day to day.
2: Yeah. It's uh, it's all fun and games until you get a nasty gram from a customer at 3. AM and you're like, I just want to respond really meanly to this, but like, that's, right. that's just not business. You have to take it as like, they cared enough to send this to me. You know, I don't like what it says. They cared enough to send it to me.
1: Yeah. Customers, hey, who'd have them? Looking for that immortal revenue model with uh, with zero humans, but still revenue um, no, no I'm a people person, I'm a people person Brennan, honest um, so you, you spoke there about um, about customers. Are there any particular real standouts where you think you know or, or, or a studies that you can share of people that have used the product and come to you with some really amazing eye-opening use cases and, and they've they've killed it?
2: Yeah, it's, um, there, there's a bunch of these there. There's one moment that I always distinctly remember that like really, I don't, I don't know that I could say that it cemented. My decision as being right to jump from SoftBank into a pre-revenue startup, but it certainly made me feel like it was the right decision. Uh, and that was the first time that we released the first iteration of content repurposing. We were the first ones that have like YouTube to anything. Um, and I distinctly remember there was a customer in our chat, uh, or in Facebook community, and they, they simply responded, I was paying an agency $1,400 a month to do this. And you guys are now doing this for a simple monthly price. And I can do this for all the content. And right there, I was just like, one, that's the firepower of AI, but two, like they can now invest that $1,400 a month into their business, into making their dreams come true. Like that for me was like, this is, this is the thing. This is a bigger dopamine rush than anything else. Um, I think I saw a lot of people. So we, for, we even still have this, we have like a chat based experience, but we also have a template based experience. And then we have an image generation experience. And so I started to see people doing some really interesting stuff where they would prompt the chat to describe a visual for an idea they were working on and then feed that into the image generation model. And so we started to think, how can we just bring the image creation part right into that experience natively? So you see that with the next iteration of the product. But I think using the models in collaboration is where I started to see the really mind-blowing stuff.
1: Yeah, again, I think, they're, in fact, actually, Cassie um, Kozakov, is that how you pronounce her name? The chief decision yeah. scientist over at... at Google. She was keynoting at the macon conference last week, and her whole talk was that this isn't an AI revolution that we're going through now. This is a design revolution. Like this is all about design um, and designing, designing workflows and, and designing systems and processes and taking things from A to B to C effectively. Recipes was the kind of analogy that that she she
2: talked about. Um, and she, I think that's true. Jasper on that recipes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh where she, hers is actually more of a, a a kitchen based full uh work um, analogy but uh, no <laughs> uh, I, I uh i didn't speak to the jasper team while i was there actually because they were they were exhibiting uh, but yeah i think workflows is the thing isn't it like you know how do you that kind of multi-modality but also i want to get I've got this idea. I want to turn that into a thing. Give me a blog outline. Give me the blog outline into a, into a, well, into a blog with the social media posts, that kind of one click campaign. When people see that idea, that's great. You've spoken about the, the content repurposing, the steps involved in that are not as simple as watch YouTube video, make notes. If you're doing it manually, that is not the workflow. There are lots of steps to go through to get a blog post what you've done is you've managed to to use AI to and build a, a sequence of steps that, that does it all for you in one go. Yeah.
2: And what I, I think this is interesting and I'm I'm curious to explore this with you as well is like we talk about desi- redesigning workflows. Funny enough, I still get people asking for the intermediate steps. Like I have still never been able to get someone to give me a solid intellectual reason for what they use raw transcripts for. Like without fail, no. every time someone mentions like, yeah, I can create transcripts with this. I'm like, cool. What do you do with those transcripts? And, And then they tell me, oh, we create summaries or we create a blog post or we create social media. And I'm like, "So, so then what would be the point of having a transcript versus just those outputs? Like, why would you want it, and it boggles people's mind. They, they can't come up with it. But then like you extrapolate that idea out with this designing workflows situation we're in. But what level of autonomy do you think people are willing to give to AI? Do we have to get to this like versioning setup with AI where you could see all those intermediate steps that are happening, almost like you would version changes in a Google Doc for people to allow AI to have any sort of autonomy, much less full autonomy. And I think that's going to be the, the larger question we have to answer in this, as we exit this design phase is like, what are we willing to give up, uh, in, in this workflow?
1: Yeah. And that, that reminds me of the, so Wired magazine, um, after ChatGPT came out and made all the headlines, they wrote an article. It was an editorial piece saying how they as a publisher are going to use generative AI. Yeah. or how they will and won't use generative AI. And one of the things that they said in there was that for editing, they will not use generative AI because editing requires judgment. It requires human judgment to determine what is important and what is the, what requires the kind of weight and emphasis within a story. And that's not something that you can hand over to a, to a bot or to, to an AI. And, and I think that's right. you know, when we, again, it's, I think it's one of the things, going back to your point about autonomous vehicles, ultimately that is the big question about autonomous vehicles, isn't it? Like that's how much are you prepared to relinquish? Um, the moment, a, a bot driven car kills a person, even though it might do it, you know, a hundred times less frequent than people on mass. People go well. It made a decision and it ended up killing a person, so we can't trust it, even yeah. though it might fundamentally be safer.
2: I was at literally my first week at Uber was when the autonomous vehicle hit that woman and killed her, and the ripples that sent through the company, as well as our long-term investment decisions in autonomous vehicles, like was was rather massive. And, and I tried to think about this as well because I'm like, people die in car accidents all the time. Not to get too morbid, but like they, every day it happens, and The the only reason I could get to is like, it's not news if someone dies in a normal car accident. It is news if someone dies in an autonomous vehicle car accident and we can blame big tech for it. And I I worry that we're getting into that same cycle with a lot of these AI systems where we may end up limiting the utopia that could be delivered by some of these systems purely because we're just going to bury them with bad news stories.
1: Yeah and this is where we need that that balance, don't we? You you see it actually in the news cycle recently. Um in fact I've I've argued recently that for the likes of Sam Altman talking about um you know the, the the capabilities of AGI and how it could be a kind of destroyer of jobs and you know it's okay we've got a kill switch we we can turn it off at the wall if if we need to. We can definitely do that. I think that's a really interesting piece of marketing hype, you know. It's a, People want to buy your product if you're telling people that it's this close to becoming, like, it's going to, it's going to take over the world and we're having to really rein it in and restrain it. Um, whereas you listen to other people in the field that are at the leading edge and they're just like, no, (laughs) that's, that's not, that's not it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then like, what even is the definition of AGI? I mean, we, we, we have a heavy discussion of marketing already, like I kind of think of AGI these days is like brand voice is for marketing. Like every expert seems to have a different idea of what that is and what it constitutes. And anytime that you can not agree on what the definition of something is, then typically you're going to have people saying that they're already there. Uh, so I think we should. My my hope is we adopt a uniform way of thinking about TIT evaluation. Yeah,
1: let's let's get to consensus on that one point alone. Just that everybody recognizes it when they see it. Yeah. Um, so this has been quite a broad ranging discussion. We should probably start wrapping it up soon, but I'm interested to know, you've talked about AI agents and that being something that you're developing internally. Mm -hmm. That excites me, you know, when we can start to build, uh, or, or AIs that can use tools, you know, and we see glimmers of this with the likes of code interpreter, we see glimmers of this with, with plugins and various other, you know, auto GPT, although I think that's probably wildly hyped. I don't think anybody's actually done anything useful with auto GPT from what I can see so far. Mm -hmm. Um. But going forward, when, when this can happen, like what, what, what does the future look like here and, and on from that, what do you hope the future looks like for the customers of GoCharlie in say, let's say 12 months time when this landscape will be very different?
2: It's a fascinating thing to think about. I'm, I'm in this like AI agents DM group on, on Twitter that has been eye-opening. And one of our board members actually, um, his name's Dustin Dannenhauer. He was one of the foremost thinkers on AI agents before this whole like LLM-based agent thing became a thing. Um, I think agents is such an interesting topic because it, for for those that don't know, agents is basically like you can, it, it can execute a more complex task for you, it, it, but at its simplest, it's in an environment and is able to execute a task. So you might be able to think about a large language model and some of the things that it does is as an agent, a very simple agent, but an agent nonetheless that lives in an environment, it does tasks for you. Now, if you think about agents is, is sort of, we're thinking about what they constitute, like We would theoretically want an agent where you say, hey, I would like you to research this topic, establish a stance on it, make a blog post about it, make a series of tweets that kind of carry that messaging through, add some images, and cite your sources. So that's like very complex. That would normally take one person, maybe a week before AI. Now it might take a day or two with AI. We want it to do that whole thing all at once. So that's what we're kind of envisioning our agent product is doing is like at your behest doing thing. But then where it gets what's super interesting is over time, it learns you. And so then the agent starts to become proactive. So then instead of saying, or instead of you coming into the product and prompting, it's coming to you and saying, hey, based upon your business, the competitive landscape, the industry that you're in, here's what we recommend you create content about this week. And we've already created some drafts. Do you want us to post this for you? Or would you prefer to come in and edit more? So to me, agents are the bedrock of a more proactive AI system, more proactive assistant, a more real collaborator with your business. Now, if I think about like, where does that go in the future? First and foremost, I think that agents need to turn doorknobs. They don't need to be talking to in, in special languages to one another. I think that will probably come most likely, but I think the most successful agents will learn how to use existing tools, APIs, because that will garner mass adoption. If I could tell something from GoCharlie, create an email campaign and post it to my Clavio account, I'm going to use that tool versus one that has to have some special sort of coding to go and do it. So you need an agent to be able to t- turn doorknobs, not create code to make something happen. Uh, longer term, I think that agents just become part of your company. I, I do think that because of AI, uh, companies that are just starting will be smaller. I think the companies that are larger will get smaller or will do more. Uh, But I think also because of AI, those companies, when they make layoffs, you're going to have a lot more companies starting because you won't need as much. My hope for the future is that I could have an AI agent that basically runs a passive income side hustle for me. So I can go live on a beach in Mexico and paint at night. But like, I think we're a ways off from there. I think there's some regulatory concerns with that. Um, but ultimately, I kind of view AI as like at its best, it's the digital twin of your desires. You you just you tell it what you want to be done, and it can go do it for you. Uh, that's kind of the future world that I think we're we're moving towards. Um, but it all boils down to doing more with less. So fast forward
1: eighteen months go charlie agent is flying you're sat on a beach living off the income from drop shipping dot agent ai that is that what i can expect to see you know, i mean it's that that's is an, is a, a brilliant picture of of agents and i think that what you've touched on is that um the bit that's easy to overlook with agents because like i you know i mentioned them ai is being able to use and things like auto gpt being able to plug into an api and and do something but it's the proactive piece that i think is so often overlooked the idea that this is just running in the background right the thing that lots of people are probably thinking when they use the likes of chat gpt for any amount of time you know you use it for a month or so and then you're thinking oh i wish it could just go and find this out for me now when when it's not available to you on your, you know, you haven't got your phone to hand or whatever. If you've got an AI agent that's always there, always there, just kind of dialed in, doing little jobs for you, doing research, finding out what the market conditions are like, saying, here's a blog post, here's a trending topic that you want to jump on the bandwagon of. If you've got that, I mean, that is an absolute game changer, as if you're a marketing manager, marketing assistant, whatever. So, well, you've painted an exciting picture there, Brennan.
2: Yeah. I mean, we were talking about workflow design. What if the best workflow is no workflow at all? Oh, that—that that is.
1: If we <laughs> can plug that in with the customerless revenue generation model, I, we're in hit the dream ticket.
2: <laughs> then, then we'll both go retire and watch Giants baseball games and uh, and sit on the beach in Mexico. How about that?
1: Uh, I'm into it. Yeah, most definitely. So, where can people find out more about Go Charlie?
2: Yeah, so our website, gocharlie.ai. Um, we are actually doing a phenomenal event. Not sure when this is, this is going to air, but September 6th, we're throwing the AI party to celebrate uh, the close of our $2 million pre-seed round, the launch of our large language model publicly, the launch of our agent product. We're going to sit down with some people from SRI and NVIDIA, uh, as well as the CEO of Hawk Media and some other people on the future of AI marketing as well. So uh, definitely check us out there. But you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, GoCharlie. AI is the handle. We didn't do anything too, too fun with it. We make the content fun, not our handles. Uh, but then me personally, just Brennan Woodruff on LinkedIn. I, I, I love hearing from customers, love hearing from AI enthusiasts. Um, pretty active in the science community, so just shoot me a note.
1: And in terms of signing up, what... What are the plans to start from? Have you got a free plan, free trial, Teams plan? What does that look like?
2: Yeah, so we, we have three tiers, but we also have a, a free tier. So we just recently made a free tier available. We want everybody to benefit from AI. It helps us improve the product. And so there's some limited usage on a monthly basis. And then as your business scales and you need more advanced content throughput, we have a freelancer tier. Then we have a professional tier. Those are both single seat options. One is limited use of the platform. One is full use. And then we have a Teams tier for agencies, enterprises, and beyond. Uh, that's a five-seat uh, five plan. So those will evolve over time pricing-wise. But, uh, yeah, we have flavors for everybody in every walk of your business.
0: Great.
1: Well, as a user of Go, Charlie, I would encourage people to go and check it out. It was the tool of the week very early on in the podcast. Uh, so if people want to hear my thoughts on it, they can go check that out.
2: Uh, well, thank you very much for joining us today. Of course, Martin, it's always a pleasure, my man. We got to do this more often.
0: Thank you for listening to Artificially Intelligent Marketing. To stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, be sure to subscribe. We look forward to seeing you again next week.